I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Hey everyone, it's Jamie. Maybe you've heard I'm presenting The Heiress Who Hustled Hollywood, a worldwide digital experience on Sunday, March 5th, 2023. And you don't even have to leave your house to enjoy the show. You can watch it on your computer, your TV, or other device. Tickets for the show are on sale now, and grab them now to take advantage of early bird pricing. During the show, I'll be walking you through a bizarre crime story involving Mary Carol McDonnell, a self-proclaimed heiress who turned out to be a prolific con artist. During the show, I'm going to share exclusive photos of Mary Carol for the first time. And they weren't easy to get because she's very elusive online. And that's by design. You guys, get your tickets now at moment.co slash murderish or at murderish.com. And save the date Sunday, March 5th, 2023 at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern. That's moment.co slash murderish. M-O-M-E-N-T dot C-O slash murderish or murderish.com for tickets. See you at the show. On a frigid dawn morning in November of 2022, four University of Idaho students settled down in their beds after a night out partying. Daybreak was only a few hours away. Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Madison Mogan were the textbook college co-eds, balancing the rigors of coursework with the call of the nightly social scene. That evening, Boyfriend and girlfriend Ethan and Zana attended a frat party on campus. 
While best friends Kaylee and Madison checked out a popular downtown bar. And the fun didn't stop when the group rendezvoused back at home around 2 a.m., trekking up snow-covered stairs to the rickety residence they shared, just a block from campus. When the foursome finally did retire for the night around 4 a.m. November 13th, Kaylee and Madison lumbered to their third-floor bedrooms and Ethan and Zanna to Zanna's space on the second floor. All of them figured they'd see each other again in a few hours for breakfast, a little hungover, but otherwise no worse for the wear. A 911 call came in to the Moscow Police Department just before noon. Something terrible had happened on King Road. Officers who entered the residence found a bloodbath of unthinkable proportions. Ethan, Zanna, Kaylee, and Madison butchered in their bedrooms. The murder weapon and the killer nowhere to be found. Like a scene from a bad horror movie, the brutal murders were impossible to comprehend. When the details emerged, the shockwaves extended far beyond the borders of the small college town. Who would want to see these four young adults killed in the prime of their lives? Why did they do it? And most importantly, where was the killer? After seven weeks of near silence from investigators, came the headline that caught the nation's attention, an arrest in the University of Idaho murders. In the early morning hours of December 30th, 2022, authorities in Pennsylvania arrested 28-year-old Brian Koberger at his family's home in the Pocono Mountains. Koberger was a PhD student studying criminology at Washington State University, just 15 minutes from the crime scene. As the country awaits a possible trial, online sleuths and the true crime community have dissected every grain of available information on this sinister crime, unearthing connections and correlations too compelling to ignore. Ultimately, it will be for a jury to decide. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I explore the case of the Idaho Four, Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Madison Mogan. Founded in 1889, the University of Idaho is located in the town of Moscow, population 25,000 just eight miles from the eastern border of Washington. The school's student-athletes received their unique moniker in the early 20th century when U of I basketball coach Heck Edmondson told local sports writers how his team liked to vandalize their opponents. The name stuck, and today, the Vandals are one of northern Idaho's biggest draws. In Moscow, the university is the center of life, serving both as the town's top employer and its de facto cultural hub, U of I's 12,000-member student body drives the success of every retail venture, from the summer farmer's market on Main Street, to Bootser's Coffee House and Pub, to the annual Lionel Hampton Jazz Festival. The university hosts community events throughout the year, including concerts, theater performances, and lectures that are well attended by local residents many of whom are U of I alumni themselves. So what draws thousands of young people from across the country 
to this isolated mining town in Idaho's panhandle. Besides the raucous party scene, call it the adventure factor. Moscow and its surrounding areas provide endless opportunities for people who crave the outdoors. Hikers, bikers, river rafters, mountain climbers, all have found a home here. Once a major stop on the Northern Pacific Railway, Moscow lies on the eastern edge of the Palouse, a sea of wheat fields stretching across Idaho, Washington, and Oregon. Beyond its natural beauty, Moscow is, by all accounts, undeniably safe, a town where people forget to lock their doors, and parents don't fear sending their children hundreds of miles away to attend college. The university website boasts that Moscow's violent crime rate is 82% below the national average, and the police department operates a station right on campus. More telling, prior to November's quadruple homicide, the city had not seen a homicide in over seven years. Given the close ties between the college and the community, it should surprise no one that news of the brutal crime shook Moscow to its core. With a dangerous and violent murderer on the loose, the town's veneer of safety evaporated quickly. Students no longer felt comfortable in their off-campus housing and refused to return to classes. Within a week, the once lively village transformed into a ghost town as an increasing number of parents picked up their children and returned them to their home states out of fear for their safety. Those who remained held regular prayer vigils for the family and friends of their murdered classmates. At a November 30th memorial held inside the university's football stadium, Steve Gonsalves, Kaylee's father, told the crowd, according to NPR, the only cure to pain is love. It's the only thing that's going to heal us. It's the only thing that's going to heal you. But healing has not come easy, not with a crime this sinister. Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonzalez, and Madison Mogan, who went by Maddie, were overjoyed when they secured housing with two other female students, Bethany Funk and Dylan Mortensen, in June of 2022. The well-known party house at 1122 King Road wasn't much to write home about, but it was just a stone's throw from campus, affording the girls a quick jaunt to class on the occasion that the prior night's hijinks caused them to run late. The gray, three-story, six-bedroom home is within earshot of Greek Row, the university's party epicenter, and the girls, all members of sororities, were full of excitement for what the year would bring and the experiences they'd share together. Maddie's father, Ben Mogan, said to ABC's 2020, it was a really tight bond that all those roommates had with each other. Kaylee and Maddie were the closest, best friends since the sixth grade in Coeur Idaho. The stunning blondes appear in pictures like twins. The night of their deaths, the self-proclaimed besties were sharing the same bed. Christy Gonsalves, Kaylee's mother, told Dateline NBC of Madison and Kaylee's relationship. These girls were inseparable, the ultimate best friends. They followed each other to the University of Idaho, where they rushed different sororities, but ran in the same circle of friends. 
about 1,600 of the university's roughly 7,000 students claim an association with either a fraternity or sorority, making it one of the liveliest Greek scenes in the Mountain West. Kaylee had actually moved out of the house on King Road weeks before the murders. She returned on November 12th to show off the Range Rover she bought herself to her best friend, Maddie. Kaylee's parents told Dateline NBC she had her sights set on graduating early so she could accept an IT job in Austin, Texas. A native of the tiny town of Rathdrum, Idaho, the 21-year-old senior was planning a trip to Europe the following summer. Kaylee wanted to see Paris's Eiffel Tower, the canals of Venice, and London's underground. In a statement to KREM2 News in Idaho, Kaylee's family described her as the ultimate middle child, saying, she did absolutely everything she set her mind to. She didn't hold back on love, fights, or life. Kaylee was the ultimate go-getter and constantly wanted an adventure. One of five siblings, she made a sixth when she met Maddie Mogan, while the two were attending Charter Academy in Coeur d'Alene. Madison May Mogan grew up in Oregon before moving with her family to Northern Idaho when she was just a toddler. Known to her friends and family as Maddie, she was so excited to attend the University of Idaho, which her obituary described as a little far from home, but not too far. Once enrolled, Maddie made the most of the college experience. Enjoying Greek life, she rushed Pi Beta Phi when Kaylee rushed Alpha Phi, making tons of friends, meeting the love of her life, Jake, all the while making the Dean's List every semester. In Maddie's obituary, her family said, we will think of her forever surrounded by pink, sparkly things that are tiny and cute. To say Maddie is loved by all is an understatement. Maddie was known for her ability to make others smile and laugh with her offbeat and hilarious sense of humor. And it was well known by all who knew her to never let her get hungry. Kaylee and Maddie met Zana Kernodal when they first arrived on campus in 2019. A fellow Idahoan, Zana was born in Avondale, Arizona, but grew up in Post Falls, Idaho, a town of 42,000 on the way to Spokane, Washington. A talented athlete, Zana ran track, did gymnastics, played volleyball and soccer. Once coming to Moscow, she majored in marketing and was a member of the Pi Beta Phi sorority, along with Maddie a fellow server at the Mad Greek restaurant in town. The long-haired brunette loved her dog, Shoeshine, electronic dance music, and going on family camping trips. Jasmine Kernodal told King 5 News in Spokane that her younger sister was loved by many and had the best friends surrounding her. You rarely get to meet someone like Xana. She was so positive, funny, and always lifted up a room. She made me such a proud big sister, and I wish I could have more time with her. She had so much life left to live. Police have revealed that Zana was the last person to be killed during the massacre, and the only one believed to be awake at the time. According to details made public in January, the 20-year-old put up a fierce fight against her attacker, evidenced by deep cuts to her fingers, which were nearly severed. 
The new details match statements Zana's father made to the press shortly after the murders. Jeffrey Kernodal said, she's a tough kid. Whatever she wanted to do, she could do it. Zana met bushy-haired freshman Ethan Chapin in the spring of 2022, and the two quickly became an item. Ethan was one of three triplets attending the University of Idaho, all dashingly good-looking. A native of Conway, Washington, the 20-year-old played basketball in high school and wanted to major in sports management. He'd just been accepted into the Sigma Chi fraternity and was, as friends put it, living his best life. On the evening before Ethan and Zana's brutal murders, the two attended a party together hosted by Sigma Chi, while Maddie and Kaylee went to the Corner Club in downtown Moscow. According to his obituary, Ethan loved the social life, intramurals, and tolerated the academics. His mother, Stacy, wrote of Ethan, one of five children. He loved unconditionally. He was loyal to all. He was inclusive, carefree, happy, just the best person you could ever meet. The stories are endless and amazing. He touched lives we had no idea existed. Ethan was incredible. Friends described Zana and Ethan as two peas in a pod. Accordingly, Ethan spent many hours at the girls' house off campus, including the night of November 12th, when his life and the life of his three friends would come to a terrifying end. A photo shared widely shows the four friends together on the front porch of the King Road home, along with the two surviving roommates. Maddie is sitting on Kaylee's shoulders. Ethan has his arm around Zana. Their families have told the media the pain caused by the loss of their loved ones will never heal. All they've asked for in return is justice. We've all been there. When you feel a weird pain that doesn't hurt enough to go to the emergency room, but it does hurt enough for you to know something's off. And when you start telling friends and family about your symptoms, you never know what kind of responses you're going to get. They might say you have a rare disease or that you have bad spirits in your house that are preying on your health. No offense to friends, but you're extremely unlikely to find quality medical advice in your group chat. And that's where ZocDoc comes in. ZocDoc has thousands of medical professionals that will listen to you like a friend, but actually give you the expert care you need. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more scary stories from your friends or scouring the internet for the right doctor or reading through questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you with your favorite doctor you just haven't met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. Go to ZocDoc.com murderish and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash murderish. 
ZocDoc.com slash Murderish. Have you ever stopped to think about the environmental impact of the massive plastic jug holding your laundry detergent? About 90% of the detergent is water, and we're paying extra for that. It seems like we're just wasting money and plastic, which cannot be good for our bank accounts or the earth. 91% of detergent jugs don't get recycled. When I learned that 700 million detergent jugs wind up in our landfills every single year, I started to realize the impact of our collective actions, but it's not like we can just stop doing our laundry. I'm so glad I discovered Earth Breeze. My new Earth Breeze laundry detergent eco sheets look just like dryer sheets, but they're not. They dissolve 100% in any wash cycle. There's no measuring, no mess, or heavy lifting. You literally just toss them in. Earth Breeze has made the whole concept of detergent better. The packaging is compact, biodegradable, and plastic-free. EcoSheets are vegan, cruelty-free, dermatologically tested, and safe for sensitive skin, which is really important for me as the mother of a young child. They offer flexible subscriptions that can be adjusted, paused, or canceled by you at any time without penalty. And just imagine, no more carrying in heavy detergent jugs after your trip home from the store. And it gets better. With their Buy One, Give 10 initiative, with each purchase, EarthBreeze donates 10 loads of detergent to a charitable cause of your choice. I love the thought of getting a chore done while also making a positive impact on the world. I was sold on the convenience of EcoSheets, but after learning how environmentally friendly the switch was, I knew EarthBreeze was perfect for me. If you're not 100% satisfied, Earth Breeze will give you a full refund and you don't even have to send it back. Now's the time to try Earth Breeze because right now, my listeners can subscribe and save 40%. Go to earthbreeze.com slash murderish to get started. That's earthbreeze.com slash murderish for 40% off. earthbreeze.com slash murderish. Within minutes of arriving at the King Road home, Moscow PD knew they were facing a crime scene unlike any they'd experienced in their careers. Inside the home were four young victims, dead from multiple stab wounds, and two housemates who had little to offer by way of positively identifying the killer. To this day, it remains unclear how the survivors didn't hear the mass killing as it unfolded on the floors above them. Fellow University of Idaho graduate, Cole Alternator, told ABC News, it's definitely an old creaky house. You can't walk up any of the stairs or on any of the floors without everybody in the house knowing it. Only that's just what the killer did. Authorities found no signs of forced entry. On the second floor, police discovered the bodies of Zanna Kernodal and her boyfriend, Ethan Chapin. They'd been stabbed in the head, chest, and neck. The scene on the third floor was similar. Kaylee Gonsalves and Maddie Mogan 
both dead in the same bed, their blood spattered across the headboard, ceiling, and floor. Left unharmed, Kaylee's beloved golden doodle, Murphy, found only a few feet from his owner's bed. It was in Maddie's bedroom where authorities discovered their first and likely most important clue, a tan leather knife sheath lying on the bed next to Maddie's body. The sheath bore the initials USMC and was stamped with the United States Marine Corps logo. More importantly, it provided investigators with a DNA sample taken from its button snap. Talking to Dateline NBC, Maddie's parents expressed some relief in knowing their daughter may have contributed to police recovering the key piece of evidence. Steve Gonsalves said, it's a checkmate type moment and our girls were part of it. The evidence suggests Kaylee and Maddie had been killed first. Their throats slit while they slept. Noise from their third floor bedroom startled Xana and Ethan downstairs. As Ethan entered the hallway to find the source of the commotion, he was met by the killer who slashed him across the neck. Ethan's lifeless body was found in the doorway. The attacker then set his sights on Xana, who fought valiantly before she too succumbed to the madman's blade. As police began to review surveillance footage from cameras in the vicinity of King Road, something caught their eye. A white car passing again and again down the dead-end street where the victims lived around the time of the murders. The vehicle, a white Hyundai Elantra, started appearing around 3.29 that morning. The car made three different passes before returning a fourth time at 4.04 a.m., right around the time the surviving roommate was awakened. That Elantra could be seen speeding away from the area at 4.20 a.m. According to court filings, a security camera at the home next door picked up what sounded like voices or a whimper, followed by a loud thud, and then a dog barking around 4.17 a.m. The camera is less than 50 feet from the wall of Zana Kernodal's bedroom. The barking dog is presumably Zana's canine companion, Shoeshine. While initial reports suggested that all four victims died in their sleep, the public has since learned that was not the case for Zana who received a DoorDash order minutes before the killer entered the home. A forensic review of her cell phone also suggested that she was on TikTok at around 4.12 a.m., literally moments before her death. The first housemate to be interviewed by police, Dylan Mortensen, offered a shocking revelation. She had actually seen the killer in the home. Around 4.20 a.m., Dylan heard something that sounded like crying and a voice utter, there's someone here. She opened her bedroom door ever so slightly, and that's when she saw him, a figure clad in black clothing with a mask covering his mouth and nose. Dylan described the person as 5'10 or taller, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The figure reportedly walked past the co-ed as she stood frozen in shock. 
and made his way toward the sliding glass door that led out of the home. Dylan locked her door, hid under the covers, and passed out. Authorities wouldn't be summoned until more than seven hours later. Moscow Police Chief James Fry had little to share in the first news conference held after the shocking murders, telling the throng of media gathered, this horrible crime has affected all of us, the families, the University of Idaho, our community, our country, and our officers. Reading from prepared notes, Fry made no mention of the knife sheath, of the surviving housemate's brief encounter with the killer, or the white Hyundai Elantra. These omissions, the public would later learn, were necessary to protect the investigation. The police chief, a 27-year veteran of the department, said during the news conference, we do not have a suspect at this time, and this individual is still out there. Kendrick Wills, director of the Idaho State Police, beseeched those listening to search their minds for any bit of information no matter how small, that might help law enforcement find the killer. Wills said, crime knows no boundary, and these murders have shaken us to our very core. Following the November 16th briefing, calls and tips flooded in, over 20,000 in total, enough to keep the Moscow police, Idaho State Police, and the FBI busy around the clock. Police reportedly analyzed 113 pieces of physical evidence and an estimated 4,000 photos from the crime scene. On November 25th, authorities dropped a breadcrumb that online sleuths ate up and detailed on all forms of social media. Authorities announced they were looking for a white Hyundai Elantra, triggering hope that an arrest might be imminent. After several weeks went by, with no word of even a person of interest, however, the victims' families grew increasingly frustrated, with some even questioning law enforcement's efforts. What they didn't know was that investigators did in fact have a suspect, and they were quickly building a case against him. The headline flashed across screens from Louisville to London. An arrest had been made in the University of Idaho murders. The date was December 30th, 47 days since the crime happened. Suspect Brian Koberger appeared in a Monroe County, Pennsylvania courtroom four days later for an extradition hearing, providing the nation its first glimpse at the person police say was responsible for the heinous murders. Dressed in a maroon jail jumpsuit and draped in a bulletproof vest, Koberger stood six feet tall and 185 pounds. He wore a thousand-yard stare and showed no signs of emotion as a judge read aloud the charges against him. It had been the white Hyundai that first put investigators on Koberger's trail. Just days after police told the public on November 25th to be on the lookout for a vehicle matching its description, officials at Washington State University handed over a list of Elantras that were registered on campus. One of those, registered in Pennsylvania, belonged to Brian Koberger, a first semester grad student seeking to get a PhD 
in criminology. Prior to receiving the university's help, investigators had been sifting through over 22,000 registered cars that matched their search criteria. Their expert had initially pegged the Elantra as being built between 2011 and 2016. Koberger's model, a 2015. Beyond the video of a car matching his own, driving around the victim's house the morning of the murders, there's the matter of his cell phone. Koberger had his phone turned off or had placed it in airplane mode between 2.47 a.m. and 4.48 a.m. on November 13th, a window of time that would allow him to travel back and forth from WSU to Moscow and commit the murders without being detected on cell towers. Those same records show his phone had been in the area a dozen times before the murders occurred, and even a few days after, suggesting he'd returned to the scene of the crime. Given the evidence, law enforcement believed they had their man. They decided to keep a close eye on Koberger, who on November 22nd registered the Hyundai in Washington State and received new license plates. In mid-December, Koberger wrapped up his first semester at the Pullman campus. His father came by plane to meet him, and the two set out across the country in the Hyundai, bound for their home state of Pennsylvania, over 2,500 miles away. Little did they know, authorities were hot on their tail the entire way. The pair were stopped not once, but twice on the cross-country drive, the last time by Indiana State Police on December 13th for following too closely. Not wanting to alert Koberger to their presence, homicide investigators remained at a distance, and in both instances, local law enforcement allowed the two men to proceed with only a warning. Once the suspected killer was back at his parents' home in the upscale community of Albrightsville, Pennsylvania, investigators decided they needed one more piece of evidence before making an arrest, Koberger's DNA. They were able to get it by rummaging through the family's trash cans on December 27th. DNA sample in hand, authorities back in Idaho tested the genetic marker against DNA taken from the knife sheath found in Maddie Mogan's bedroom. Police said it was a dead-on match. Don't settle when it comes to your dog's health. Just as you rely on their loving welcome at the door when you get home from work, they rely on you for maintaining their health and happiness. Make the switch to fresh food made with real ingredients backed by science by switching to Nom Nom. Nutrient-rich food is essential for your dog's health and energy levels to make sure they're living their best life. Nom Nom makes it so easy to get fresh food straight to your door. They deliver dog food with every portion personalized to your dog's needs, so you can bring out their best. There are no additives or fillers in Nom Nom's dog food, which means less bloating and more energy for your fur baby. Nom Nom uses the latest science and insights to make real, delicious food for dogs. Their nutrient-packed recipes are crafted by board-certified veterinary nutritionists and are shipped free straight to your door. 
Nom Nom's already delivered over 40 million meals to good dogs like yours, inspiring millions of clean bowls and tail wags. I love my dogs, Shadow and Clipper, beyond words. Just saying how much I love my boys isn't enough though. I have to show them that I love them with my actions. Switching over to Nom Nom and giving Shadow and Clipper the gift of nutrition and health makes me feel so good. Seeing them running around full of life and energy shows me that Nom Nom was the right choice. And judging by their bowls that are always licked clean, they seem to absolutely love Nom Nom. Nom Nom comes with a money back guarantee. So if your dog's tail isn't wagging within 30 days, Nom Nom will refund your first order. No fillers, no nonsense, just Nom Nom. Go right now for 50% off your no-risk two-week trial at trynomnom.com slash murderish. Spelled trynom.com slash murderish for 50% off. Trynomnom.com slash murderish. pre-dawn hours of December 30th, 2022, a SWAT team descended on the Coburgers' property, which is near several ski resorts and the Pocono Raceway. The suspected killer was taken into custody without incident. In the weeks since Coburgers' arrest, reporters and citizen journalists have pieced together a crude picture of the man police say killed Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Maddie Mogan in cold blood. Though some questions have been answered, one major question still lingers. Why? Authorities haven't outlined a motive for the murders, leaving families of the victims searching for answers. The question coming up on social media over and over again is whether the suspect knew any of the victims and whether this was a targeted attack. Born in 1994, Brian Christopher Koberger grew up in the tiny town of Effort in eastern Pennsylvania. A rural community of less than 3,000 people, Effort is about an hour and a half north of Philadelphia and two hours east of New York City. Koberger's father, Michael, is a retired electrician and his mother, Marion, a former paraprofessional who worked with special needs children. According to reports, Marion gave Brian and his two older sisters a supportive upbringing in a loving environment. They were raised in effort until the family relocated to gated Indian Mountain Lake in Albrightsville in the early 2010s. The Kobergers were active members at St. John's Lutheran Church, where they attended weekly services. It was at St. John's where Brian developed strong ties to his religious faith. Brian Koberger graduated from Pleasant Valley High School in Broadheadsville, Pennsylvania in 2013. Photos from his high school yearbook show that he made a stark physical transformation from his sophomore to senior years and allegedly aspired to be an army ranger. Koberger appears to have worked for a short time in the Pleasant Valley School District in late 2021 as campus security officer. Following high school, Koberger attended DeSalle's University in Allentown, Pennsylvania, 
just a short distance from home. He earned a bachelor's degree and later a master's in criminal justice before setting off across the country for WSU in August 2022. It's unclear what sparked Koberger's interest in criminal justice, but he was so serious about the subject that he applied for an internship with the Pullman Police Department while attending Washington State. In his application essay, Koberger said he was interested in helping police more efficiently collect and analyze technological data in public safety operations. Pullman PD have not said whether Koberger actually got the job. Friends have described Koberger as an intellectual with a mean streak. At Washington State, his peers said he annoyed some people with a habit of over-explaining and sounded particularly condescending when he spoke to his female classmates. Not everyone hated his company, though. Aaron Dash, a 28-year-old engineering student at Washington State, lived below Koberger at the Steptoe Village apartment complex in the months leading up to the murders. He told Insider that Koberger expressed an interest in him and regularly made small talk. Dash's roommate told the online publication that Koberger gave him his phone number and repeatedly suggested they socialize. The roommate said he talked to everybody. He was a very chatty person, not charming, but outgoing. Another student at WSU who had Koberger as a teacher's assistant noted how his behavior changed after the murders. The student told Insider, afterward, he didn't grade at all. Most inspections of Koberger's past have revealed evidence of a troubled young man who battled depression and self-hatred. Reporters with the New York Times uncovered online posts Koberger wrote while still a teenager in Pennsylvania. He spoke of having suicidal thoughts, of not being able to feel emotions, of observing his own life as if it were a video game. Koberger, then 16, wrote, I can do whatever I want with little remorse. In the posts from 2009 and 2010, he laments suffering from a little understood neurological condition known as visual snow, in which a person's vision is obscured by scattering dots, much like the static scene on an analog TV. He said the condition left him depressed and confused and with thoughts of suicide. A young Koberger wrote, nothing I do is enjoyable. I am blank, I have no opinion, I have no emotion, I have nothing. Can you relate? A friend told the New York Times that Koberger was consumed by his condition. An expert in the field, Dr. Francesca Puletta, said that while visual snow is not a sign of mental illness, research has shown that people who have the syndrome also report a high incidence of psychiatric issues, such as anxiety, depression, and depersonalization. The neurologist said, we still don't know what causes it. We simply have to do more research. On top of his physical ailment, Koberger has also suffered from drug addiction, primarily to heroin, which he began using after high school. Despite his positive home life, Koberger had been overweight throughout much of his youth and suffered the scorn of bullies, 
which may have led to his depression and later his drug use. Sarah Healy, who attended elementary, middle, and high school with Koberger in Pleasant Valley, Pennsylvania, told People Magazine, he was bullied a lot. It started because of his weight and was mainly by females. He was pretty big. Healy's statement begs the question, did the alleged bullying by females lead to a particular disdain Koberger may have had toward women in adulthood? That said, other people recall Koberger as the aggressor. Casey Arntz, who was two years ahead of Koberger in high school, told people about outbursts and anger issues. Arndt said he was the kind of person who would smash things or punch a wall or something like that. Rich Pasqua, who graduated from high school a few years ahead of Brian, told the Times that he and Koberger used heroin together in 2013 and 2014 while working at a pizza shop called New York Pizza Girl. Pasqua recalled Koberger as being socially awkward a person with few friends. One of those friends was Jack Bayless, who described learning of Koberger's arrest as wild. Bayless said Brian himself would have been fascinated by it. In a message from October of 2018, Koberger told Bayless he was interested in studying criminals. He said he'd like to be involved in capturing violent criminals, but that it could be difficult to get a job like that. Koberger wrote, I'm thinking more along the lines of dealing with high-profile offenders, counseling. During his short time at WSU, Koberger was working toward a PhD in criminology, in which students debate the motives of criminals and study, among other things, how prosecutors gather evidence. Koberger was a teaching assistant and one of the 34 students in WSU's Department of Criminology and Criminal Justice. While many people have attempted to draw a link between his field of study and the massacre in Moscow, some experts are unconvinced. James Allen Fox, a longtime professor of criminology at Northeastern University, told the Inside Higher Ed website, studying criminology is not going to make you a criminal and it's not going to make you a better criminal. What we teach is how come, not how. Michelle Bolger, one of Koberger's criminology professors at DeSalle's University, told the Daily Mail that Koberger had been a brilliant student. Bolger said, in my 10 years of teaching, I've only recommended two students to a PhD program, and he was one of them. He was one of my best students ever. While at DeSalle's, Koberger studied under none other than Catherine Ramsland, an expert on serial killers who helped Dennis Rader, the infamous BTK serial killer, write his autobiography. Ramsland has not yet agreed to interview requests. Professor Fox said it was unfair to connect Ramsland's scholarship with Koberger's alleged killings. He told Inside Higher Ed, the media started playing on the fact that one of his professors had written a book about BTK, who was a serial killer, not a mass killer. These crimes are very different. I don't think there's any significance to that. To be fair, trying to paint Koberger as some genius mass murderer in training isn't supported by the facts. Does a criminal mastermind 
leave behind evidence containing his DNA at the crime scene? Does he use his own vehicle to drive to the location where he committed murder? Does he turn on his cell phone while still near his victim's home? Based on what we know, it seems Brian Koberger is nothing close to a criminal mastermind. Mary Ellen O'Toole, a former FBI profiler and the director of George Mason University's forensic science program, said to Inside Higher Ed, people are giving the suspect too much credit for his academic excellence. Looking at the affidavit, there were a tremendous number of elementary mistakes made from a forensic and technological perspective that led to his arrest. She also said that based on the details of his movements and the way he allegedly committed the murders, she doubts Koberger's intentions were experimental or scholarly in nature. O'Toole said, the way he carried out these alleged murders does not point to some detached academic interest. This was need-driven behavior. He came there to obliterate his victims out of hatred, which is a very scary state of mind, but which also put him at greater risk of giving himself away. Despite mounting evidence to suggest he was the killer, Koberger reportedly believes he's going to be exonerated. Monroe County Chief Public Defender Jason Labar said, that's what he believes. Those were his words. He's been very easy to talk to. Actually, he's in a calm demeanor. Koberger's parents and sisters attended the January 3rd hearing in Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania, where Koberger waived his right to fight extradition, and a judge ordered him transferred to the custody of marshals from the Idaho State Police. Fox News wrote about the scene. His father nodded or shook his head during parts of the brief hearing and waved at his son, who muttered something to his loved ones before he was let out of the courtroom. His sisters appeared visibly upset and at times distraught. A court officer brought Koberger's weeping sister a box of tissues as the hearing commenced. They covered their faces with jackets and masks as they left the courtroom. Public defender Labar told NBC News, they don't believe it to be Brian. As of February 1st, Brian Koberger remained in the custody of the Lauda County Sheriff's Department in Idaho, awaiting arraignment. He's not eligible for bail and has been ordered not to contact the surviving victims or their friends. He's represented by Ann Taylor, chief of the Kootenai County Public Defender's Office and one of only 13 public defenders in Idaho, approved by the state's Public Defense Commission to lead a capital punishment case. Prosecutors have yet to indicate whether they'll seek the death penalty. Idaho is one of 24 U.S. states that actively maintains capital punishment. Prosecutors have 60 days from the time Koberger enters a plea to file notice with the court whether they're going to seek the death penalty. Public defender Ann Taylor has come under fire for taking on Koberger's case, seeing as she represented Zana Kernodal's mother only a few weeks prior and multiple times in the past for a drug possession charge. Zana's mother, Kara Kernodal, was arrested for drug possession a week after her daughter's death. In late January of 2023, 
when prosecutors asked Ann Taylor to share any evidence that might prove Koberger's innocence, she said, there are no books, papers, documents, photographs, or copies, or portions thereof, in the possession of the defendant at this time, which will be submitted at the time of trial. In recent days, Vandal students have been speaking out about seeing Koberger on campus in the weeks before the murders just milling about. They paint a picture of a creepy loner who felt out of place. A sophomore named Chelsea told People magazine, he was the type to stare. He wouldn't look away if you caught him staring. Like he wanted you to notice that he was looking at you. He didn't smile, didn't nod, didn't say anything, just stared. It remains unclear if Koberger knew any of the victims personally or what made them, out of all the students at the University of Idaho campus, his targets. As of the date of this recording, Koberger has not entered a plea. Hoping to preserve his right to a fair trial, a judge has forbidden anyone involved with the case from speaking to the media or the public. The gag order is currently being challenged by the victims' families. Koberger is due back in court on June 26, 2023. As for the families of the victims, they continue to share stories of their loved ones in hopes that their memories will not be lost in the fog of the case's sordid details. The University of Idaho Foundation has set up endowment funds in each of the students' names, Ethan Chapin, Zana Kernodal, Kaylee Gonsalves, and Madison Mogan. Tens of thousands of dollars continue to flow in from around the country. GoFundMe pages have also been set up for all the victims. The Sigma Chi Foundation has also created the Ethan Chapin Memorial Scholarship Fund in honor of Ethan's life, and the Kernodal family has created the Zana Kernodal Scholarship Endowment at the University of Idaho in memory of Zana. The Kernodal family will match dollar-for-dollar -dollar gifts to the fund, up to $10,000. If you would like to donate, links to all of these are in the episode notes. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. And don't forget to save the date for the worldwide digital experience I'm hosting on Sunday, March 5th, 2023. Early bird pricing is going on now at moment.co slash murderish. That's moment.co slash murderish. You can also get tickets at murderish.com. I hope to see you guys at the show on March 5th. Listen up, Murderish fans. If you'd rather listen to the podcast ad-free, Check out Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon, where you can get access to all the episodes with no ads, as well as bonus content and other cool perks. To sign up, visit Murderish.com or just go to Patreon.com and search for Murderish there. I want to give a big thank you to Jay for joining Murderish Behind the Mic. Thank you so much for your support. I am really looking forward to interacting with you on Patreon. Oh, and did I mention the evening of the show that I'm hosting on March 5th, all Murderish Patreon subscribers will get into the after party for free that night. Visit Murderish.com for more details and tickets. For those who don't know, I host another true crime podcast called Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime. The podcast follows my investigation of a woman I met a few years ago. 
a woman who turned out to be a prolific con artist. It's a wild story that even has ties to the Michael Jackson scandal. You can follow Dirty Money Moves wherever you're listening right now. There are a bunch of episodes for you to binge right now. I hope you'll do me the biggest favor and tell your friends about Murderish or leave the show a positive rating and review in any podcast app. You can also show your support by wearing a Murderish t-shirt while you're out and about. And trust me, it's a great conversation starter. Go to Murderish.com to buy t-shirts, bags, coffee mugs, and so much more. Don't forget to follow Murderish on Instagram and TikTok at Murderish Podcast. Both platforms are a great way to get to know me better because I do a lot of funny videos, short true crime stories, and everything in between. And I love engaging with you guys there. So check it out. Murderish sound design and audio editing is done by Pod Machine with oversight by Emily Crane of Cloud10 Media. This episode was researched and written by Kay Brandt. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.